Paul is speaking here. And he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of the things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, Thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. Let's pray. Father, your word is amazing. It never ceases to astonish us, never ceases to bless us. Father, we pray now in the name of the Lord Jesus, he whom Billy has sang about and whom we have raised our voices unto this evening. We ask you in his name that you would now settle our hearts and speak to every one of us through your word and that your word, Lord, would be real to every single heart. 
Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Bless us, we pray. And Lord, if there's one that is not saved tonight, it's come into our midst. We pray for the anointing of your Spirit to deliver them from the grip of the enemy and from the bondage of sin and set them free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Almost or all together persuaded. I'm speaking to someone tonight and you've maybe heard the gospel one time or many times and you find that you're almost persuaded. Like Paul said unto this jury which he stood before that he would that they were all together persuaded to be like him. That is to be saved, to be a Christian. In our reading, there seems to be a courtroom drama taking place. And first of all, we see the accusers who are the Jews. And they bring him and they bring him for trial to this jury, as it were. First of all, there's the Jews. Then we see Paul and then we see King Agrippa, Governor Festus and Agrippa's sister, Bernice. It is said that King Agrippa and his sister, Bernice, were not only blood related, but they had an incestuous relationship. History tells us that. So everything about them was wrong. Yet the man who stood for truth, the man who stood for the gospel, the man who stood for Christ, was the man who was in trial. It reminds you what it's going like today, doesn't it? That all the sin and everything that is going on in our nation, yet those who stand for the truth of the word of God find themselves that they're now up in court or being put in prison. They're no longer allowed to have a freedom of conscience. And now they must live either by God and his word or live according to the world and their lusts. And brothers and sisters, that is coming upon each and every one of us. You soon, if not already, will be expected in your workplace, in your neighborhood or where you are, to either take a stand for Christ or else you'll have to bow to the wiles of the devil. I trust tonight that you'll take your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul finds himself before King Agrippa, Governor Festus and Bernice. Here is a time already when evil is called good and good is called evil. It's now right and fit and proper in the circles of society that people no longer even are having their own gender. And those who still believe in the biblical terms of gender and marriage find themselves standing before these people who are now in power, playing to the liberalism and the political correct people who want us to throw God out, to disown Christ, that we may follow their mindset and their ways. Brothers and sisters, as far as I am concerned, I say, no, never. We'll take our stand with Jesus. Here we find Paul is now in this courtroom, as it were. He's his crime preaching the gospel. 
loving the souls of men. For a man and a woman now to love the soul of a man and a woman who are lost and wanting them saved, they find themselves when they try to bring Christ to them, they are now doing something wrong in the eyes of the world. Here Paul finds himself standing before this jury of Agrippa, Festus, and Bernice. His crime is not only for loving the souls of men, but uplifting the name of Jesus. Everywhere Paul went, he preached Christ and him crucified. And of course, for that preaching, saying Christ was uniquely, solely, only, and totally the way to the Father, the way to salvation, and the way to the kingdom of God, now Paul finds himself that he is exclusive to all other faiths, preaching Jesus and Jesus only. The gospel hasn't changed tonight. The gospel is still the same. One Savior, one way, one blood, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There is none other and there is none else. To say that Jesus is exclusively, uniquely, solely and only the way to God's kingdom or heaven is to say to others, well, we think nothing of your religion. And so the liberalism says you can't say those words. Brothers and sisters, I just have. We'll stand by the cross and preach the work of Christ. We'll stand under the fountain of blood and trust in it solely and only that Christ has paid the fullness of our debt. And we will stand for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him and by him alone. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, said Peter in Acts chapter 4 and in verse 12. Paul has been preaching Christ and Christ alone. He's exalting and lifting up the name of Jesus and now finds himself in court, hated of all men, standing alone, and his friends leave him even later, and he's writing to Timothy, we find that when he writes to him, he says, all men forsook me. He says, but notwithstanding, or nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. Brother, sister, you're better being alone with God than in a crowd without him. You are better being alone with God than in a crowd without him. Paul says here in verse 23, of our reading. He says that Christ should suffer. Where did you hear it, Paul? Where did you find this out, Paul? This is where he heard it. He says, from Moses and the prophets. He says, I'm bringing you the scriptures of the word of God. It's the Old Testament that we call it, that the prophets foretold and Moses foretold of the coming Christ that would die, the great Redeemer to shed his blood for the redemption of Israel and the salvation of the whosoever will. Here we find that the Lord Jesus has not only died, but he's risen and ascended into heaven. And Paul is preaching a risen Christ. Paul isn't preaching 
a dead God. He's not preaching someone lying in a tomb. He's not preaching someone who has went to dust. He's not even preaching one of his forefathers. Paul is preaching a living, risen, ascended, glorified Savior. And that's who Christ is still this evening. Paul says Moses and the prophets have spoken of him throughout the years. And lo, behold, he has come. He has bled and died, and I have met him. And he tells the story in our reading from verse 13 onward of the living Christ speaking to him. I love it whenever he says in this, in verse 13, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou? Curios is the word for Lord. Who art thou, Curios, the one who is sovereign, supreme in control and all authority? Paul cries from the very dust from which he came, like you and I. And I love the reply comes back. I am Jesus. Not I was Jesus. Not I'm some sort of spiritual ghost Jesus, but I am the great eternal God Jesus who has been risen from the dead. Notice he stands before this jury. The message that he brings is Christ. He says they should repent, change their minds, turn their ways, and turn to God. He says that Christ gives hope and peace and joy and love and life and forgiveness of sin and deliverance from the enemy, salvation for all eternity. He gives us light and an inheritance in him. He preached, he presented, and he promised in this message which Paul brought. Look, it's in the message, not the messenger. He preached all of these, the resurrected Christ, not the vessel Paul whom Christ had chosen. Brothers and sisters, there are far too many people, especially in the big mega church pulpits who preach themselves. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. It's all about what they can do and who they are and what they're about and their riches and it's all about them. Listen, the gospel is all about Christ. It's all about him and it should always be about him. The Lord Jesus resurrected, ascended and glorified, spoke to Paul and he says in verse 18 of our reading, let's read it that the Lord would send them forth. The word Gentiles, by the way, simply means to the nations. Remember the house of Israel, scattered Israel were there, gentilized and lost. And Paul would go forward and all would hear the gospel preached. But this is what Christ was sending them forth to do. Verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, said the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the focus of the gospel is Christ. They are sanctified 
by faith in me, says the risen Christ. He knows the heart, the Lord Jesus, he knows the heart of every man and every woman. He knows the lost estate, the total depravity. He knows that we are helpless without him. That we will be lost for all eternity and spend that in a devil's hell should we die without him. And in grace and mercy he comes knowing the heart of every man and woman. He knows our helplessness and in our ability to save ourselves he dies for us. He takes our place. He's our substitute. He sheds his blood. He pays our ransom and he settles our debt. And on the cross of Calvary the wrath of God is poured out upon him. The fullness of God's wrath against you. And many Christians need to get this because many fall away because they think my heavenly father still has a big stick and he's out to get me. No, he hasn't and no, he isn't because when you're in Christ, all the wrath that was against you was poured out on him. Jesus drank up every part of the dregs of the wrath of God. That someone like me and like you could be saved and forgiven. Notice this. The Lord Jesus, he was the just who would die for you and I, the unjust. And why? That he might bring us to God because you and I cannot get to God without him that he might bring us to God. The sinless one became sin for us. And on the cross he cried, it is finished. It is finished. That my debt and yours was paid in full. And Christ, after he said, it is finished, he cried, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He rests his head on a pulseless breast and he gives up the ghost. Listen, he gives it up. He didn't die before time. For he says, no man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it again. He died. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, and the Bible also tells us he showed himself alive after many infallible proofs. This risen Jesus showed himself to above 500 people in one go. At one time. He ascended into the heavens to be our great high priest. This is who Paul is preaching. Our great high priest, he never falters. He never wanes. He never forgets. The scripture says he shall not fail nor be discouraged from standing in the presence of God and making intercession for you and I. He gave us his Holy Spirit to quicken us, to draw us, to fill us, to seal us for all eternity that we who trust in him and are sanctified by faith in him would go free and be saved for time and eternity. Listen, it's his message, it's his doing, it's his dying, it's his precious blood, it's his life was given, it's his death, it's his sacrifice, it's his burial, it's his resurrection, it's his ascension, it's his glory, it's his high priestly ministry, and it's his spirit who lives in us. You see, it's all of him. It's all from him. It's all to him. 
Brothers and sisters, I, I despair when I see some people and they think they must do, they must work. Just yesterday, the Jehovah's Witnesses called at our door. Thank goodness I was out the back getting a bucket of coal. He said to Allison, there's the watchtower for you. She got the call. She got the door. And she says, no, thanks. We're born-again Christians. And he says, oh, it's good to have faith. She says, I but faith in who? She says, our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they quickly turned on their heels and left. It's sad. But oh, that God's blood-washed would have such fervor to be out and reaching the lost as men and women like that. It's all about Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now he says God was. Who was manifest in the flesh? Jesus. Who was it that was justified in the spirit? Jesus. Who was seen of angels? Jesus. Who was preached unto the nations? Jesus. Who was believed on in the world? Jesus. And who was received up into glory? Jesus. Do you know what Paul's saying? Jesus is the Almighty God. That's what he's saying. That's who we worship. That's who we trust. That's who we serve. That's whom we are sanctified in and set apart for his glory. There's no other religion. There's no other religion that can say those words. There's no other faith in the whole of the planet Earth that can say or offer that. No prophet. No religious leader, no spiritual guru can say those things but Christ and Christ alone. I'll take you to the grave of Buddha, to the grave of Muhammad, to the grave of Confucius, to the grave of many of the popes of Rome. I can take you to them, but when we go to the grave where Christ was laying, it is empty. He is not here, they said, for he is risen. Our Savior is alive. He is alive. None other can claim this. For Christ has risen from the dead to die no more. Other faiths may say, do this, do that, work here and work there to be saved. When Christ says, it isn't do, do, do. It's done. It's done. It's done. Christ has paid it all in full, right to the very jot and tittle and uttermost farthing. Wonderful, wonderful Savior. This jury, wouldn't you think that they would cry out for mercy at a message like this? Wouldn't you think that these people so deep died in their sin that they would be just bursting to get to Paul to tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more about this living Christ. Wouldn't you think that they would be rushing to him to hear, I, what must I do to be saved? Tell me more. 
Wouldn't you think it that maybe someone in here this evening would do the same? Because that's the same message that Paul was bringing. Wouldn't you think that those who hear of the living Christ around our nation would do the same? Because that's the same message that they're hearing. This jury, you'd think they'd ask for mercy, run to an altar, whatever they had to do, pleading that God would forgive them of their sin as they repent, as they turn from their ways and face God. You'd think that they would, even if they can't repent, they would try to rejoice that God has given his Son. You'd think that they would come and thank the Lord and say, we give you thanks for your unspeakable gift. We have heard this man preach of him and and he is a wonderful Savior. Oh, forgive us for what we have done. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our, our waywardness. Many would think they would, but no, to no avail, not one of them would do that. Such a wonderful, glorious, fantastic message that is presented to the jury, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. Notice this. This message, we're told, will open the eyes of the blind. It will show them their need of Christ. And here's the thing. People keep saying, oh, on my deathbed, if I'm afforded it, then what I'll do is I'd say, here I am, Jesus. I accept you now. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I know people can be saved on their deathbed. I, I'm nothing against that when it's real, but it doesn't work like that. Do you know that it is impossible for you to be saved? It's impossible for you to be saved. It takes a sovereign act of God. It takes a sovereign act of God to come into your life, the Holy Spirit, and to open your eyes to behold your sin and the Lamb of God who's able to cleanse you. Now, if that doesn't happen, you can't be saved. Ah, different slant on it now, isn't it? There's a different tilt on the message here. Well, I just sort of thought that I could do what I want and then in that time just say, here I am, sure you're a good God and we're, we're going to accept you right now, Jesus. No, that's why the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Because that's God speaking to you. That's God drawing you. That's God saying, you're not right with me. You must. You must repent and get right with God. Repent's a dirty word now too. Repent's a bad word. I think we're well used to it in here because we just use it because it's a biblical word. Here we find that Christ opens the heart. I thought we were to open our hearts. Well, if you want to go down into your nearest morgue and ask them to pull open one of the drawers with a body bag in it, and ask that man or woman who's in that drawer, speak it, shout it into their ear, open up your heart, I don't think you'll get much of a reply. You know why? 
Well, it's obvious because they're dead. Paul says that we are dead in trespasses and in sin, and there's nothing in us that wants him. There's nothing in you and I that wanted him. But in his grace and mercy, he came down. And his spirit spoke into our hearts, quickened us, made us alive unto God. And we see our need of a Savior because we're so sinful. And we repent of our sin under the blood of Calvary. Trusting in what Christ has done, paid the debt. He's finished it for us. And that's how we're saved. It's not by ritual. It's not by coming to CET. By Christ and Christ alone. Christ must open the heart by opening the eyes, the spiritual eyes, that is. John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I see. The Lord would send Paul, he says, to turn them from darkness to light. Now, surely we all understand that the darkness and trying to walk in the darkness is you'll trip and you will fall, you'll stumble. Trying to walk in the darkness, we tend to group around to find our way and many of us would fall in complete darkness. And spiritually speaking, the darkness of death is upon every man and woman Every man and woman that are outside of this place or maybe not even saved in here, that darkness is there. They cannot see, but suddenly when the light shines of the glorious gospel of saving grace in Christ, we find that that light illuminates us that we can behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. See, he says, Paul, you'll turn them from darkness to light. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. There's men out there, there's women out there, and maybe some in here. And they're in complete darkness, walking, stumbling, falling their way through life. Even in the best of life and living that this world can afford, they're stumbling their way in darkness and one day they'll fall into the pit. And Christ shines a light in it and says, here, shining this light. Listen, I'm not condemning anyone because I was the chiefest of sinners, by the way. There's nothing really shocks me, you know. Being there, done it, wore the T-shirt. All that sort of stuff. Nothing really shocks me. I'm not in condemnation of anyone. Let me tell you about condemnation. John chapter 3, verse 16. Everyone can quote that verse off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse. God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. Notice that God didn't send Christ to condemn you. He sent Christ to save you. 
He sent Christ to forgive you, to die for you, to shed his blood for you. God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned. What's the word? Already. Now, you see, when we hear the gospel presented, we don't think of these things. You don't need to go out and start condemning those who are in sin. They're already condemned. We don't need to go out and start. Yes, we can point sin out and tell them there's a Savior. Yes, we can talk about wrath of God. But we don't need to condemn them but rather tell them they're already condemned because they're not in Christ. Here we find in John 3 and 19 it says, and this says the condemnation. Do you want to know what the condemnation is? All those people outside of Christ. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Do you see when we see all the things that's happening in our nation? Look, and I don't need to go through a whole list, a whole catalog of all of these things that's happening. We all know what's happening. We see the depravity in our nation. We see everything from murderers and bombers now telling us what is righteous in our own province here in Ulster. We see it right before our eyes on television. We see people who are saying who who should have been locked up or even executed for what they had done. Now telling us whether they'll go into government with someone who's a Christian or not. Maybe we're blinded by this now, are we? From government down, even those who profess to be Christians are denying Christ. And some of the skullduggery between themselves is rotten and filthy to the core. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, God sees every bit of it. God sees every bit of it. You see, their deeds are evil, so they won't come to the light. They love their sin. I heard a uh, a man on the radio says, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in God, but I can't. He's ready, he can't. He can't believe in God till God opens his eyes. But you know what he does instead? He hides in his sin. He hides in his sin. He wallows in it because he loves it. The jury chose darkness and they stayed. You're listening now? This jury with Paul in front of them chose darkness and they stayed in condemnation. Paul was being sent forth according to verse 18 that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified, that is, by faith in me. 
just briefly as we run this into a close, let me look at this jury. First of all, we had the proclamation of Festus. He was the governor. I ain't got to change my name. Sounds like a sore or a boil or something. Festus is summed up in one word at the hearing of the man of God who stood before him presenting Christ. Much learning doth make thee mad, he said. You're mad. You're mad. Paul spoke of visions and revelations and voices from God. He spoke of the resurrection of Christ. And all Festus could see was Paul's madness. All he could say was, you're mad for believing and thinking these things. And is it not true when the gospel is presented to many that all we hear from many is, you're mad. You're mad, Paul. See that man down there in CET stands there and gets excited and jumps about like a flea at times. He's mad. I am. I admit it. For Jesus. It's about time we all were. Mad about him. Here, Festus can come up with nothing else about madness. Listen to what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 3. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun. That there is one event unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. After that, they go to the dead. There's one thing that will level every single one of us, whether we be saved or lost. Should Christ tarry, and that is that we will all occupy six foot of terra firma. Every one of us will be laid in the dirt. From dust thou hast come, and unto dust thou shalt return, saith the Lord. But it's where do we spend eternity? It's where. Do we spend eternity? The Lord says, those who are not right and ready, the Lord claims that they are mad. I don't mean to offend anyone, but let me say it like this. If you're without Christ tonight, and you allow your heart to beat one more time without him, Or you think you'll give yourself one more night outside of him? You're mad. You're mad. Secondly, that was the proclamation of Festus. Secondly, we have the decision of Bernice. Now you might say, well, what did Bernice say? She said nothing. Silence, exactly. Her silence was deafening. Some may say, I'm neither for Christ nor against him. I'll sit on the fence. But I can tell you, according to Christ and his gospel, there are no fence sitters. 
The devil owns the fence. The devil owns the fence. Jesus in Matthew 12 and verse 30 says, He that is not with me is against me. And the silence of Bernice in making her decision for the Christ which Paul was preaching. Silence was choking the very atmosphere. And your indecision for Jesus, you ready? Your indecision for Jesus is you making a decision against him. I want to say it one more time. Your indecision for Jesus is you making your decision against him. He that is not with me, says the Lord Jesus, is against me. Bernice made her choice by her silence and stayed under condemnation. Thirdly and finally, the retraction, the retraction of Agrippa. He says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We we know what almost means. It means very nearly, but not quite all. It's like the runner who's in the race and he's to breast the tape, but someone gets there before him and breasts it. He could say, I almost breasted, but he didn't win because he didn't. It's like taking a penalty kick and hitting the post and saying, well, you know, would you not give us that goal ref? And there's one or two of your teams I heard you talk, and I don't follow football, but I heard one of you two about your teams you could do with that to help you. It's not in. It's called missing the mark. It's called missing the mark. It's like a marksman who almost hits his target. He almost hits it. Ralph Turnbull said this, the owl peeps at the sun out of the barns, but does not come out to enjoy it. So, did men like Agrippa preach, pardon me, peep at Christianity. The old owl will wait for the night to come and peep out and see the light and say, I've seen enough. Is this you? Almost very nearly, but not quite all. Remember, Judas Iscariot, how close can you get? He kissed the Lord Jesus on the cheek. He kissed the door of heaven and he went to hell. Why turn down such a glorious message? Why sit on a fence that belongs to the devil? Why turn away such a loving Savior? Why be so close, almost persuaded, he says. Almost thou persuadest me. To be a Christian. And this is what I have come up with the conclusion to finish this message. To one side he had Bernice. A sinful, immoral companion. Again, history says that it was his sister of an, and they had an ancestral relationship. And what if I lost this and the Lust of my flesh. 
And what if I lost the, the, the friends that she is friends with and I am friends with? What if I lost my circle of friends? On the other hand, there was Festus, the governor. He was a man's man who just simply said, Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. You're a crazy man. You're crazy. You're mad. You see, Agrippa, because of Festus, we choose the praise of man at the expense of eternal punishment and rejecting Jesus. And you see, we must learn the lesson here, whether it's friends family, or whether it is others wanting to please others, wanting to be acceptable in their sight, we must accept Christ and reject them. Then, in front of him, in front of Agrippa, there's a pitiful man standing in chains, preaching a Christ that sets you free. What sort of a character is this? I'm going to believe in a, a risen God that he speaks about, and he's in chains. Paul says, I would that you were like me, but without these chains. I listen. Paul in Christ was freer in chains than Agrippa without chains was outside of Christ. You know, especially young people, they think that if they go with the crowd and they think that they must be accepted by them and especially the young people when they think that here's these Chains that I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do the other thing and I can't go here and I can't go there and it's all these chains. You know, I, I have to wear all of these. Listen, they think they're free. Be your own person. Be your own God. Be your own self. See how free we are and all you Christians are bound in chains. And I'll tell you the truth. I was totally bound in chains by the sins and the addictions of this world. I was bound in chains forever, but Christ came into my life, and he says, he or she whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Christ sets you free. The chains of man matters not, because within, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am child of God I must stop Paul says I don't want you to be almost but all together like I am a Christian loving Christ there is no almost Christians you know then there is no most almost saved people they're saved and there's lost. Some people wanting to be stroke teased and dot eyes may say, are you saved? Oh yes. Are you well saved? Well, you're either saved or you're lost, one of the two. 
When you're saved, you're saved. When you're lost, you're lost. You can't be well saved and well lost. Well, I should say this or not. I'll say it anyway. I must stop. <laughs> so I was walking through Belfast City Centre years ago. And it was on a Friday afternoon and there was a certain well-known preacher who used to stand outside the city hall. Mr. Paisley. And there was a car and there was all these wee women standing singing. And I was walking past and I stopped and this wee woman waved me over. She says to me, do you know the Lord? I says, I do. You're a saved person. I says, I am. Do you want to sing with us? I says, I okay, why not? <laughs> so I went over and a student sang with them. And the big mom was preaching over the bonnet of this car down towards Donegal Place Royal Avenue. And the bodyguards were here, you know. Where. And after he had finished, they come up and was shaking hands. And this wee woman introduced me to Mr. Paisley. Mr. Paisley, I was younger then. This young man's called Ken. And uh, he goes to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Mr. Paisley shook my hand and he said, where do you go? <laughs> I said, Metropolitan Tabernacle. He was, are you saved? I said, yes, he says. Are you sure you're saved? I says, Mr. Paisley, I'm saved as much as you are. And he turned and walked away. Now, that's not the down a man who's gone. I'm just saying, you're either saved or you're lost. Which are you? Which are you?